0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's episode 82, uh, Roma extending their unbeaten run now to 10 matches after the international break. We're back after a week off as well. We took the week off with Roma as uh, it was international duty time. We don't want to talk about Italy, at least I don't, after what transpired last week. I'm sure these guys don't either, so we'll get right into Roma. But uh, Jim, congratulations on the new job. You started yesterday, so how are you doing today?
2: I'm, I'm surviving, you know. New jobs are always learning the ropes at the beginning, so uh, can't complain too much, And uh, but I'm excited to be talking with about Rome with you guys again.
0: Yeah, Brandon's back. He missed out on the Derby fun, unfortunately, for him. He gets to come back for a victory, not the most uh, exciting one like the Derby, but hey, it's a, it's a win, right, Brandon?
1: Yeah, um, I feel like with the international break included, I haven't been on after a win in God knows how long, so it's nice to finally be able to talk about it with you guys. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. Uh, one nothing Roma win uh, at the Marassi against Sampdoria. Never an easy place to play. You know, Roma's had some, some gutty wins there. I remember one a, a few years back with De Rossi, pretty much like, you know, hitting the ball in with his pelvic area to, to, to score a goal to win a match. So it's never easy to play there. Usually rains for once, it didn't really come pouring down in buckets like it does a lot of the time. But Roma, 27th minute goal from Henrik Mkhitaryan. It was a nice play. Pellegrini played Zalewski with a nice ball out to the left wing. He crossed it low. Placed pretty well. I mean, it was out of the reach of Adaro, the keeper. It was played in for Tammy, went off the defender, and then fell right to Mkhitaryan, who tapped it home. It was an easy goal for Mkhitaryan, so to speak, but it turned out to be a huge goal for Roma because it's three more points, which pulled them within five of Juventus after Juve lost the Derby d'Italia later in the day to Inter. So let's get right into it, guys. Um, Bunch of listener questions today. The first one comes from Twitter, from SoCal, and he said, until this past month and a half, uh, Roma had no style of play. We were very inconsistent, and players were uncomfortable. What has changed of late? We're still we're starting to see a solid defensive side that builds from the back uh, with an identity to build on. So i I mean, things are certainly changing. I believe someone actually responded to him, so I want to read the response quickly before I get to to you your take on this one. But certainly, it seems like the identity is starting to come about. So Sufyan, who's a frequent questioner, uh, actually, you know, said that this has always been the style of play it just wasn't executed very well. And he gets into it. He said, Roma changes how they play from game to game, keeping some of the same aspects through all games, for example, defending pretty deep whenever the opposition has the ball. Uh, very rarely do we keep a high line unless it's like a Salernitana. Tana. Uh, even how we defend can change from game to game. Sometimes Roma press high, like against Samp. that Tammy chance was created that way. Uh, sometimes Roma will only press when the team passes the halfway line. And he's even seen Roma press, only whenever the opposition is on the flank. So Mourinho will have this identity, but vary it. And even in attack, he said, sometimes Roma press high and try to punish mistakes. And sometimes Roma plays with the ball. Sometimes we counter from deep. And uh, overall, he thinks Roma mainly plays on the counter and uses their press to find opportunities to do so. And this is the tactical flexibility of Mourinho with his same principles as stay in. But uh, if he, he says, he's sure, if you'd asked him, what is your style of play? He'd say, whatever is needed to win the match. And I think we're starting to see that with Roma. So what do you guys Think about that, this identity that's building, but maybe the flexibility within the identity that Sufyan points out.
2: Yeah, I would definitely agree with a lot of what was just said. There was there was definitely a lot to say right there, but I would agree with most of it. Um, I think that seizing on the defense as a big reason why Rome has been successful is right. I mean, like you can just look at that Sam game and realize that you know we're not we're not winning games with you know, like three, four goal margins because of beautiful football at all the time right now. And the only way that you can consistently win games 1-0 is by having a rock solid defense. Um, I think that everyone is playing well in the defense, but I would specifically t- like single out the fact that Max Kumbula is now at worst a good rotational option for this center back defense as a reason why Roma has been able to kind of up their defensive ability. Everyone else, like we knew that they at their on their best day could be a, you know, best in the league type defender. Um, I, I never had any doubts in the peak ability of players like Gianluca Mancini, Rodri Banez or Chris Smalling with um, when we have four center backs who are able to play at a high level. That gives you a lot more flexibility. It means that when you sub one, a guy in, you're not completely tanking the defense. I think that there's a lot of variables at play there that make it really key. Um, I also think that the midfield should get a shout just because of how much we've kind of ragged on them, rightfully so, over the course of the season. By hook or by crook, once Jordan and Vera too got taken out of the picture, this midfield has looked a lot better. Um, I think that Oliveira isn't necessarily, you know, pumping in a goal every match like you might've hoped he could when he scored one in his first match with Roma, but at the same time, Oliveira paired with Cristante is looking pretty good. If you ask me, I don't think it's like end game for our midfield. I still think that there's a lot of room to upgrade the midfield, but it's showing that both Cristante and Oliveira can be at a minimum rotational pieces for a club that wants to have champions league aspirations, which is what, you know, we are. Um, So, Overall, I would say that the defense and the midfield, the defense has shown that it's got more depth of excellent players, and the midfield has kind of cut out certain players who weren't performing up the snuff, and I think that those two things were really key.
1: Yeah, I think Jimmy pretty much nailed it. I think I'd just add, you know, uh, elephant in the room, Smalling is finally fit for a consistent period of time, and we will get into that more a little bit later, but um, and I would just also add, we were talking about it a little bit before, we got on but uh not always pretty but if we win like this every or you know keep this unbeaten run going uh one nothing uh, i don't care how it comes i'll take it we'll take it every time
0: yeah i think you take them however they come right that's Mourinho's reputation we didn't expect beautiful football when he came in he's getting results and one of our other questions um on the message board Kastuba, Harry Haran, who, who was often interacting with us, asked about the recent solidity in the back. And Awaj replied, and he came back with a, a similar um, point that you made, Jim, is, a, is the fact that once 2 came out and Sergio came in, there's been a big difference. And it, it pretty much correlates because this change has really started since the post-UV Milan disasters to open the, the calendar year 2022. Sergio came in about mid-month, and he threw some stats out there which were interesting, which uh, kind of speak to the – the midfield helping out the defense a lot more. He said, replacing two with Sergio mostly is the reason for the change by the numbers. two is just comically bad on defense. His blocks per 90 is by, uh, by far the worst than the team at 0. 0.65, which is decently indicative of, of being him unable to put himself in a position to offer any resistance to opposing attacks. And when you contrast that with Sergio, he blocks 2.22 shots uh, or passes or shots um, per match. And also if you look at their pressures in the middle third of the pitch, Sergio is pressuring the ball 15.6 times per 90 in the middle third of the pitch where Vertu was only pressuring it less than half of that 6.99. So I think the Sergio uh, addition has been big. I think he's Jimmy made a good point where he's a good rotational piece. If you want to be a Champions League caliber team, maybe he's not your best midfielder, but he's doing the dirty work that Mourinho needs his midfield to do in order to, to get the results and it makes the defense look so much better. And it makes Rui Patricio look so much better too, because he now leads SETI with clean sheets It's either 12 or 13. He's one more ahead of, I think, Chesney and another keeper um, with 12 or 13 clean sheets. I mean, I remember at the beginning of the season, some people said, Oh, you know, he's gonna be Paul Lopez 2.0, which Greg 22 pointed out on the message boards when uh, Harry Heron asked about has how much of a surprise has Rui been. So I'll start and you guys could chime in. I, I mean, I thought Rui would be a solid veteran a presence, but To me, he's been better than expected because he has not had, in my mind, that I can remember really any major blunders. We got so used to those major blunders with Pal Lopez and and Robin Olsen that maybe I've just been so jaded by them that, you know, I forget what it's like to have a good keeper, but he's turned out to be a really solid keeper.
2: Yeah, I would 100% agree with that assessment. I didn't know what to expect with Patricio when we signed him. I thought that he could be this type of player. Like, I think, a Morgan DeSantis on steroids, almost, you know, like a really reliable, a guy you don't have to worry about between the sticks. Um, But he's, if you go by clean sheets, you've said it, he's looking like one of the best goalkeepers in Serie A this season. I would add that I think there's something to be said for bringing in a much more experienced keeper when so much of the rest of the squad is younger. It's not like Patricio has been like a world beater on like the level of Igor Casillas or somebody like that. But at the same time, he's been around the block. He's played for his national team for over a decade. He's somebody you can trust. And at the end of the day, having that when you're playing, you know, a 21-year-old center back like Kumbola or, you know, even a 24-year-old center back or a 22-year-old, left winger or however when you have younger players it's important to have an, at least one or two older players who can really keep the mentality up and make sure that you know it's not too fragile and I think that in different ways Mkhitaryan and Patricio are both exhibiting the importance of having that experience even in a young side like Roma.
1: Yeah, yeah. go
2: ahead Brandon.
1: No, I was gonna say you know you guys pretty much nailed it i just throw in there. Um he's currently tied with Handanovich for 13 uh, clean sheets at the top of the league. If you had told me that at the beginning, I probably would have thought that um well a I would have bit your hand or eaten off your hand and ran with it. But I also would have suspected that we would have been a little higher in the table because you know normally these sides that are at the top of the clean sheet list are in those one, two, three, four spots pretty consistently. So, you know, it's a little bummer we're not there, but
2: We we lost it there, Brandon.
1: A huge. Oh. Uh Ruby's been a huge, uh, huge piece of that. So, you know, hopefully, it's a pipe dream that we'll be able to catch Juve, but hopefully, we uh, we make it a little interesting towards the end of the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, ha- at more than half of those, I think probably have come since January, or, or just about half. So it certainly speaks to how Roma's been in this great run of form: six wins, four draws in their last ten matches, unbeaten since that that Juve debacle. I believe Juve was the, the second match of the two. He had opened the year. So since the end of January, really unbeaten in the league, one loss overall to intern the Copa Italia, very good stuff. I know you had mentioned smalling. So I'll let you get into smalling because Mike Kovach asked, why are Roma so much better with smalling? Is fit, Brandon.
1: That's a great question. You know, obviously you have the on-field product, which speaks for itself. Uh, can't really find a more dominant center back in the league when, when he's on his game, but also um, the intangibles aspect is huge too. When you have a rock in the back, like Chris Smalling, um, you know, you're, you're more willing to uh, make that risky tackle attempt, knowing Chris is behind you to clean it up. Um, should you mess up? And that, you know, that gives you more confidence. So with young players like Mbula, Banez and Mancini, having that, that leadership presence, which, uh Jimmy hinted at with with Rui being there, um, you know, that's that's right there with smalling as well. So I think all of it plays a role, but I think that that mental side of it's pretty understated as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. He definitely solidifies the back line gives a little more security to players like Ibanius, who can be quite out of position at a time. So Um, Sufyan asked a question, too, in addition to weighing in on the other one. He said stats show that Roma gets more points when they have less the ball. Why is that?
2: Go ahead, Jim. If I can take a stab at it, I would assume that that's because Mourinho's tactics recently have basically been telling opposing sides, give us your best shot on offense. We'll probably be able to absorb it because our defense is that good right now. And then the moment that we get a counter, like a lot of, like, we're playing a lot more counter-attacking football than I've seen, or we're playing it with more urgency than I've seen from Roma in a while, which is a nice change of pace. And I think that having the ability to absorb a lot of strong attacks and, you know, weaker ones from weaker sides as well, is going to be critical for this side when it's kind of in the in-between zone between super club and big club. Um, because you have to be able to play that way sometimes against teams that are just like offensive dynamos. Um, you're not going to be able to, uh, to just wheel the ball away from like a Inter Milan all the time or a Juventus all the time or, a, a, I don't know, a Manchester City all the time. So you have to be able to have that defensive integrity. And I think that that's part of that identity that people have noticed Roma is building. The ability to say that we're not necessarily going to always be better than every single team we face but we will have the defensive integrity to at least neutralize some of their best players. Yeah, I think
0: I think that the counterattacking aspect has a lot to do with it. Some of the teams we've matched up best against the season Lazio and Atalanta jump out at me. Is those are teams that like to play with the ball, come at you, attack, play Saudi ball, you know, play Gasparini style where they press high and that leaves holes in the back when Roma can spring that counterattack with Tammy Abraham or Razaniolo or you know, Cristante playing a long ball over the top or Pellegrini opening up Zalewski in this one. And even in this one, Roma only controlled 51 to 49% possession. And the goal was scored on on a break where a a ball from Pellegrini played Zalewski and then people charged into the box and the play broke a bit, but it worked out well for in the long run for Roma. I mean, if, if I'm looking down the possession numbers, you know, since this win not win streak, but unbeaten streak started, in the league they beat cali won nothing 56 percent possession lecce in the copa 3-1 58 percent possession uh the the match they beat empoli 4-2 and they only had 42 percent possession roma uh against genoa 62 percent uh the inter lost 43 so percent that's all 54 57 against Hellas. those are those are well two two draws they dominated the ball against spezia 64 percent, but against atalanta 36 percent possession uh, the 1-1 draw against Udinese, 63%. Lazio, 34% possession. They smacked Lazio around like we know. So I think it all speaks to the counterattacking mentality, and that, that's probably Roma's strength on offense right now because when you look at them and they have to break down a Udinese who will pack it in or a Sampdoria who will pack it in or even Spezia. Spezia, Roma had a very high XG, 3.5, but they just couldn't find a way to break through. And I think Roma still has trouble with those tightly, you know, compacted sides. And I think that's one aspect Roma will have to probably address in the midfield is having someone who can help break that down a little bit more, maybe move the ball a bit quicker. And I think that's why they, they strike better, sometimes with less possession, because they can counterattack and find that open space for Tammy to run into and, and some of those guys like that. that. That's just my theory. I'm no tactics expert, but that's what I tend to see from Roma. All right. So moving on to uh, no toti, no party uh, from the message boards. He said, thanks for another podcast and giving us the opportunity to ask some questions in an earlier podcast. And a question of mine, you guys emphasized that Mourinho was doing a really good job, although we were not doing good at the time. You guys said that it was the players we have, it was impossible to do much better now that we're doing better. And Mourinho seems to have the defense better structured and beaten. Uh, we're on an unbeaten run. How do you analyze that? Mourinho wasn't doing great earlier, but was building up to this. So all kudos to him. Or the the players not as bad as you guys made it out to Seem at the time? Uh, or or his view, is it a bit of both? Is it that Mourinho wasn't doing great? The players are better? What What do you think?
2: I think it's important to remember that one of the highlights of the past couple months has been certain players who either were kind of banished from the first team or, you know, were academy grads, have become pretty critical parts of this side. That's, I think, an element of this that's beyond, like, oh, the players were bad. Oh, the players were good. Um, Like Kumbola and Zalewski were two guys who were just not featuring in the first team at all. And especially during Ibanez's injury um, time off, like both of them were playing and are playing with some regularity now and looking good in Mourinho's tactics. I always felt that one of the issues with the weaker moments in Mourinho's tenure so far has been sometimes what I would perceive as lack of buy-in by certain players. Um, Like I thought it was telling that Roma was able to salvage a draw, a 2-2 draw with goals from Christian Volpato and Eduardo Bove when they subbed on late in, I forget which game it was, but I remember watching it and being like, oh, wow, if players are buying in, this can be a successful formation. And I think that the combination of players like Zalewski and Kumbula getting more chances with players like Vertu getting fewer um, has paid dividends. Um, I don't think that we're in a situation where we're gonna see a complete overhaul of the side in the summer. I think that there are enough players, like I think Brian Cristante, for one is a player who can be like a useful rotational piece for this midfield. Um, if he's surrounded by other good midfielders. I, I think that I'm coming to believe that the reason why the Cristante Vertu double pivot wasn't working was more on Vertu than Cristante, um, just based off of how the past couple weeks have gone. And so, yeah, I think that part of it is we found different ways to put together the players that we already had. Certain players showed better form, certain players popped up out of the academy and certain players started playing less. All those things kind of come together to explain at least some of the recent good form that Roma's been having. Yeah, I, I agree with all the
0: points you made. I think bringing in certain players like Zalewski, Oliveira, and even moving Mikatarian, those things have made a, a world of difference for what Roma's done so far. All right. Yeah, so d- go ahead, Brandon.
1: Oh, uh, no, no. Yeah, I just want to add, I mean, first, you know, credit to Tatino Party for coming with the receipts on us. <laughs> but, um, in addition to that though you know it's it's all pretty uh I'm struggling to think of the right word here but you know at the beginning of the season I think most of us would have pegged Roma to you know be hovering right around fourth probably finishing in that fifth spot and you know here we are now and earlier in the season when we were certainly all doom and gloom I know I was um so I'm the first to raise my hands and say you got me on that one but this all this stuff all averages out over the course of the season. So I think, at the time where we when we were saying that these players had a certain ceiling, a lot of that is also tied to um our preseason expectations of this squad, and ultimately, as the season's winding down, we're finding that we're right about to where we thought we were going to be. So definitely fair to call us out for our negativity over over those tough stretches earlier in the season, but I think ultimately, where we where we view the squad is basically where they're where we viewed the squad in the beginning of the season is kind of where they're at now. So, kind of all goes hand in hand. But maybe we should have uh, been a little more optimistic back in the dark days of November.
0: Yeah, and that's a perfect lead into our next question. I was going to get to, which is from Johnny Delicoli of the Calcio guys. Uh, he asks, realistically, do you see Roma closing in on that top four spot? Or is it too little, too late? I don't expect Juve to keep on dropping points. So if we just look at the schedules in Serie a, you know, Roma has Bodo this Thursday and next with uh, Salerno Tana sandwiched in between. And then after that, depending on if they advance, we might have a couple more, you know, Conference League matches mixed in. But so it goes Salernitana Tana Sunday, the uh, Easter Monday at Napoli. The following weekend, uh, I believe it's a Saturday match or Sunday matches against Inter. Then it's home for Bologna at Fiorentina, home for Venezia at Torino. So that's Roma seven match stretch to try to make up five points and actually really six when you think about it because Juve has the tie break for of the head-to-head. Uh, Juve goes to Caliuti at home for Bologna, at Sassuolo, home for Venezia at Genoa, home for Lazio and at Fiorentina. And then they, they also have the Copitalia semifinal against Fiorentina in a couple of weeks. So just looking at the schedules I think you have to think Roma has a bit of a tougher schedule considering they have two Scudetto contenders left in back-to-back weeks on the road. Um, It's hard to see Juve dropping six points uh, more than Roma does the rest of the way. I mean, if Roma would have to probably go unbeaten uh, and maybe all wins to make up that kind of gap with with what you see in Juve's schedule. But um, in response to that question, I did see a Juve fan say Locatelli's now out for a while, so who knows what could happen. Their midfield's pretty depleted. But I don't know. Can you guys see Roma making up that kind of ground in seven matches to to close of the season?
1: I think you guys know what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would just say, I think I would feel way more optimistic if Juve still had European commitments. Yeah. I think if they were at this stage of the Champions League, we all know that that's their holy grail. So maybe they're like, "Uh, screw fourth place. We have a shot at this. Let's go for it. Without that being there, I think, like you said, it's probably, it's probably a bridge too far, um, especially with those games against Napoli and Inter on the table, because them being in the thick of the title race, they have no reason to go anything other than 100% for that game. So um, we've had trouble with them in seasons past. Hope, you know, with this run that we're on, you would think that we'd give them a better fight than in previous matchups, but I think it might just be too little too late for us, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would just add that my general feeling on that is ask me again later, ask me in like two weeks. Sure. It's not great that Juventus for Juventus that they lost their last match, but other they've won four out of the last five. Um, it's not like they're on some complete fallback to earth along the lines of what's happened to Atalanta who are now out of European spots. Granted they have a game in hand, but they're out of European spots right now. Um, and I don't see, like comparatively speaking, Juve is way in a better shape than Atalanta is. Um, And I would not anticipate Juventus losing enough for Roma to get ahead of them. And even if we tied, we have that embarrassing loss against them that would make us lose the head to head. So unless something really funky happens in the next couple of weeks, my answer is probably not. Uh, Roma can probably get fifth place though, which I would argue might align better with our goals in a short-term context. Anyway,
0: yeah, I, I think we all agree. Very unlikely. Hey, if UVA slips up to Callide this weekend out on the island, then maybe we can start to dream a little bit. But like you said, they they've won four of their last five. Their loss was to Inter, and we have to go to Inter, so that's 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 a tough ask for Roma. If Roma can go and somehow find a way to to beat Salernitana, Napoli, and Inter, and then Juve dropped some points. Hey, maybe we could dream, but that that's maybe something to revisit toward the end of the month where, as we get to the real home stretch of the season. So, Jim, we're going to talk about one of your favorite players, Zalewski. Continues to impress AS hey, Roma fan success. How do you anticipate they'll use him when Spinazzola comes back and is healthy? Any chance he can be moved to the right side and get some playing time as a right wing back? Or do you see him as a forward playing in front of Spinazzola? And I guess that would be in more of the 4 2 3 1 setup if uh, he's playing more wide forward.
2: Yeah, I 100% see him being more of a forward as time goes on. Um, I've mentioned this in prior podcasts, but there's just too much of a logjam at left back, particularly in the summer when Califiore is back in town. Like some people want to write him off because of not being that great at Genoa, but you got to remember how terrible Genoa has been just in general this season. Um, I saw a stat on Twitter about you know, like expected points versus actual points. Um, I think, Steve, you were the one who yep. posted that. Genoa, by far, had the worst of any club, like the decline from expected to actual. And in a situation like that, when a legacy club like Genoa is very likely to face the drop, uh, they're just not going to give a guy like Calafiore the minutes he needs. So I'm, I'm definitely not giving up the ghost on him yet. And if you look at it that way, then... Even if you include Zalewski as a left wing back, that means you've got Spinazzola coming back from injury. You've got Vina, who you only bought a season ago, and you've got two young, impressive guys in Calafiore and Zalewski who should all be fighting for minutes at left wing back. If you're Mourinho, that's just, you're going to kill one or one of those careers, most likely by keeping them all at the left wing back position at the club right now. So I would say make him more of a left winger, depending on what we do with Shomurdov, maybe throw him into that Shomurdov type role because he's also played in the middle before, um, kind of behind the striker. So I think that if you do it that way, uh, Zalewski can still kind of do a lot of the work that's expected of him in the left wing back role right now. And, I mean, you got to remember that one of the huge parts of, one of the huge things that Mourinho wants from players, even forwards, is to be able to track back. And he he's showing that more than basically any other like young player that we've had outside of like Zaniolo tracks back, but Zalewski tracks back more than Clivert did. He tracks back more than Under did. Like he's showing the ability to work, even though he's playing as left wing back. He's showing an ability to work as a forward in Mourinho's system right now. And I think that as we get back to probably what is Mourinho's more ideal um, formation, that we'll probably see him playing as a left winger in the future.
0: Yeah. So speaking of a player that is on the you know, the rise for Roma, Zaleski looking really good. Brent, I'm going to go to you for one of your favorite players. Actually, it's actually Bren's probably favorite, favorite player. He might may, maybe a surprise, Paul Lopez. But will Eldor get more playing time anytime this year or perhaps next season if Zaniolo leaves? That's from Francesco Ten.
1: We need to bring back uh, Bren versus Bren, and it just needs to be a whole article of how much we love Eldor and how much of <laughs> – talking about how great of a purchase it was and all that good stuff. But – and, you know, to get to the question, I would be kind of surprised if Eldor is on the squad uh, next year, namely because um, I'm pretty sure it was when he was on national team duty, but he basically gave an interview where he was like – I'm getting the hell out of here if I don't get more playing time. Yeah. So, um, and with another summer working with Pinto and all that good stuff, we're Mourinho is really going to zero in on the guys that he wants, probably bring in some more offensive pieces. I know uh, John uh, Guedes from um, Valencia has been rumored. So the competition is only going to increase. And if he's on the perf- Periphery now. I don't really see how he's going to break into the side next season. So I think probably best for all all parties involved to maybe just take the L on this one and move on.
0: Yeah, I saw that comment. He definitely is not happy. And you know what? I, I don't blame him for not being happy, not playing. But he probably fits better at a club like Genoa where he was, or maybe a mid table team than than where he is now, at Roma. I, I don't see. We all question the purchase when it happened, and and I think that's coming to fruition now. I know Bren was not happy i saw some some tweets about it uh, from the the site account this week so maybe one day you guys can can sound off on that um so you know coming up next is bodo glimpse a team we had never heard of probably before i don't know end of august early september and we know them pretty well now because they (laughs) they beat the crap out of roma up in norway and now Lo and behold, Roma draws them again in the quarterfinals and they're they're coming up in two days if you listen to this before Thursday. Maybe you listen to it after and then they'll be coming up again on the following Thursday in the second. leg. Um, uh, it was Char47 asked if we know what their current form is. I have not looked at their new Norwegian like standings or anything or their, their schedule. I'll maybe take a look while you guys are talking, but how should Roma approach his first leg? Any strengths or weaknesses? I didn't get to watch either of those matches. I don't know if you guys did, if you could comment on that, but He wants to know any information on them would be much appreciated. So how would you approach it? And if you know anything about the side?
2: I would probably just say that regardless of how Mourinho tries to approach it, there's going to be a whole lot of anger and like annoyance at Bodo for both of these legs. Like there's nothing that could happen in the first leg that would change Roma's attitude towards Bodo in the second. I think that they're going to be like, look, this—that was really embarrassing when we went up to Norway and lost six-one to this no-name side. We need to get there right now and like send them back to the Stone Age. That's like, that's like <laughs> the only—that's like the only way that these guys are going to think about it. Because if you, I remember correctly, when they were in- inspecting the pitch the first time for the Bodo match in Norway, someone was like, "This pitch is garbage," and then Mancini says, "Yeah, that's what we get for being bad last season, basically," and the fact that right after that match they lost like right after that they lost 6-1 you have to imagine that guys like Mancini are absolutely pissed off um and I would say that the most important thing for Marino to probably tell them is to not get carried away um I could very easily see see someone getting really annoyed with this team that is obviously good enough to be relatively deep in this competition like I don't think they're a joke um you don't want to get pissed at them and then get carded and tank the game like that that's the way that i see roma losing this this tie by getting in its head getting red carded getting yellow cards just like letting them dictate the game when if we play our game well we can win that that's what i think the biggest the mental aspect is the most important for this one
1: yeah i i also don't know their current form i think if i look and i don't see six ones all across the board Uh, I'll get pretty sad (laughs) knowing that Roma was the team subjected to that but in terms of approach I think you know it kind of boils down to three things some of which Jimmy already hinted on hinted at but one you know play your strongest 11 of which I'm sure there's no doubt that we will see the strongest 11 um, in this first leg Two, play your game and then three obviously like take the game to them because the worst thing you can do is let them hang around going into the second leg and giving them just that extra bit of confidence um, because they do know they can beat us. So it's, it's probably important to come up, come away with a two or three goal lead.
0: Yeah. And just to throw in there, you know, we have Celerity Tana Sunday, so I'd rather go for it this week, try to get out to a lead and be able to rest some guys next Thursday, if possible with Napoli coming up after that. And then just to talk about their form uh, the Norwegian season actually runs by the calendar year, probably because the winter is so brutal up in Norway, that they did win the league uh, to finish 2021. Um, they beat out Molda by three points. And then since then, they have had to play conference league matches in the uh, round of 32. They beat Celtic 5-1 on aggregate, 3-1 up in uh, Scotland, and then beat them 2-0 in Norway. Uh, and then beat AZ Alkmaar from the Netherlands uh, aggregate 4-3 after a 2-1 win at home, a 2-2 draw on the road. So a couple name brand sides that they beat. They also uh, started their league season with a draw against Rosenborg and won a couple rounds of the Norwegian cup. So they're still in form. Uh, if, so Roma will have uh, some work to do and uh, we'll see, hopefully by next recording, we'll have a nice aggregate lead and a win against Lernery and, you know, we'll be cruising into that second leg and Roma can, see it out and then worry about Napoli. So just a couple kind of fun questions guys that as we're running out of time here to, to end the episode. So we have one from Jurassic. He said, if you could choose one midfielder from any other team to complete the existing roster, who would it be? Answer this as if money and the player's willingness to come to Roma are not factors.
1: Do you guys know my answer? I, I hope you guys know. <laughs>
2: If it's Granite Z- Chaka, we're ending this. this no, right no, now. no, no, no. You might think
1: it's worse though, <laughs> but you guys should know. Malenka well, Savic, my son, my oh. favorite
2: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he man, I wish he had just never moved to Lazio in the first place. Like if, if he had if he had been in Rome, it would have been perfect. I, I will admit that. Like I could never want him in Rome now, because he's right, on the wrong right. side of Rome. But like in another world, yeah, I could go with that. My answer is Graven Birch. Um, I would say that just like he strikes me. I've, I've actually watched like Dutch league games, which is a bit of a stretch for me, but like, I found a way to watch them. Uh, And whenever I watch Ajax play, I'm like, okay, this kid is special. And he's the exact type of midfielder that we kind of need for that role. And I think that he would also allow, like bringing him in would allow for, players like Cristante or Mkhitaryan to slot into that other midfield role and then maraud up the front more which I mean I don't I feel like I say this every month or two Cristante was brought in and was like a guy who was scoring 10 goals for Atalanta and it really bugs me that we that basically due to necessity we've often played him in a more holding midfielder role and if we get somebody who's actually like that good as a holding midfielder maybe we can see the Brian Cristante who was so good at Atalanta again um not that I don't think he's been I don't think he's been bad at Roma but I think he could be better in a different
0: goal yeah I mean could I say Daniela De Rossi uh no, <laughs> but it definitely sir, somebody who can win the ball I think Anguista would have been a great signing now that I see him at Napoli I think he's had a, a really solid season for them as a guy who can win the ball back and free up a Cristante and I actually saw a stat on Cristante I don't have it in front of me but for like progressive distance on passes per 90 minutes or on average pass, Cristante is one of the best in, I think Europe's big five leagues in terms of how he moves the ball from deep in the midfield. So we've seen it, you know, when he has someone who can win balls next to him, which Oliveira's done all right with, he can excel even, even sitting a little bit further back because he does have some passing range. So an interesting uh, thing to look at with him. So we have a, just a minute or two left. So uh, Jirassi asks, would you be okay if Napoli were to win the Scudetto? And Francesco10 asks, who's your prediction to win the Scudetto at this point? Because that's really a, a revolving door at this point.
2: I wouldn't, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 out of the top three who I think actually have a shot at winning the Scudetto, I don't, like, I don't have a feeling either way. I think that Milan and Inter, if they win, it's going to just be like evidence that financial fair play was a joke and always was will be a joke like just their finances are nuts in like a very bad way like I'm I'm not surprised I would not be surprised if Inter and Milan if they don't find a buyer in the next two seasons like having major issues and so I don't really want them to get rewarded on the same time at the same time I hate De Laurentiis (laughs) (laughs) like I just find him to be an utterly annoying character um so if him winning would not make me happy but i'd much rather see a club like napoli who's generally spend within their means and like build a squad over the long term get rewarded as opposed to inter and milan who just don't
1: yeah i think um i'd be more than okay with with, with napoli winning i mean you have the uh, they've been there for so many years just right on the cusp is leaving uh for mls after the season so maybe give him a send off. The only thing, the only drawback that I would have with them winning is Spalletti getting a Squidetto. but you know, you kind of take the good with the bad as for who will win. I think ultimately it'll be inter. Their schedule just seems just very easy uh, the rest of the way. Roman game, notwithstanding. So that's what I would go with.
0: Yeah. I think inter has the the leg up in terms of scheduling. I saw the three schedules today and Napoli is, I don't know. it, It reminds me of us but then they would win ahead of us. I don't know if I care for that. I'd probably prefer Inter because Milan Twitter's uh, insufferable. They're pretty terrible. (laughs) So I'll go with Inter.